The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to the Silver Bells Murders, the unofficial American Gothic internet radio show exclusively on poppychuloradio.com. Poppychulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Friday, July 22nd, 2016, and I am your host, Samantha Hoover. During tonight's broadcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of CBS's American Gothic. Please welcome my co-hosts, Jess. Hi, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And Poppy Chulo. Hey everyone, I enjoyed the episode, hopefully you did too, and I can't wait to hear everyone's uh, opinions on it, so I'm really excited. Alright, so let's jump into our recap of Season 1, Episode 5, titled The Artist in His Museum, and aired July 20th, 2016. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Cam experiences hallucinations that make him question his involvement in a gruesome crime, while Madeline leaves town to confront the sender of a cryptic message. So before we jump into the initial reactions, let's check in with this week's ratings. So American Gothic jumped back up to a 0.6 demographic, or 2.46 million viewers. Alright, so now that we've heard the ratings and the synopsis, what was everyone's initial reaction to the episode? Let's start with Poppy first. I really enjoyed the episode. I thought it was a very strong episode. Lots of reveals. I'm not going to ruin the ending, but let's just say I was not the... I was not expecting the ending to happen so soon into the series. I thought that would have been much more like a um, sort of like center point to the series, like somewhere towards the middle. And we have, what is it, like eight episodes left? So I can't wait to see what happens next. This episode certainly uh, set things up for things to come, and I'm excited. I loved all the reveals. Me too. Okay, Jess, what did you think of this episode? I absolutely 100% agree, and like Poppy, I actually thought that this was going to come like way later into the series, so I'm curious to see how else they're going to fill that airtime, but also, um, based on everything that we have seen with this past episode, I really think that you, the theory that you've had all along is 100% correct, and I cannot wait for you to be 100% right. When all is revealed. I'm excited. I'm excited for that too. I thought this episode was extremely trippy because Cam hallucinates so much, which is kind of exciting to see. We'll get into my favorite hallucination. Before we get into a thorough recap, here are a few reminders on how you can interact with the show via social media. Follow the show on Tumblr, thesilverbellsmurders.tumblr.com. Follow the station on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr at Poppy Chulo Radio. Help support Poppy Chulo Radio financially by visiting GoFundMe.com slash Poppy Chulo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? 
email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. And search for The Silver Bells Murders through iTunes and hit the subscribe button. New episodes are available to download on Fridays throughout the summer. Okay, so we pick up where we left off with Garrett at Christina's apartment. Garrett starts to approach her, belt still in hand. And just as things were heating up, Christina's neighbor Wendy pops in. She stays around for a painful few minutes, not taking the hint that they were busy. Wendy swears she recognizes Garrett and asks if he has a red truck, but Garrett denies it. Christina apologizes and Garrett immediately says he needs to go and that he can't do this. So what did everyone think of this as the opening scene? Hashtag cockblock. Absolutely. Exactly. Oh, the neighbor. That was an interesting scene because, I mean, you know, I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to make Garrett suspicious and like, oh my gosh, they're going to kill her. He's got the belt and all this kind of stuff. I didn't see that. We didn't see that. We discussed it during the last episode. So I'm glad that what we thought was going to happen happened in the sense that he wasn't going to kill her. Now, the neighbor... That was interesting because obviously he comes from a prominent family. Like, I'm surprised Christina doesn't recognize him. You know what I'm saying? Like, if this woman is kind of like, who are you? Have I seen you before? Do you have a red pickup truck? Like, he's known, or at least his family is known. Like, he's been gone for a long time, but people are starting to realize he's back. And because his family's so prominent, like... I'm surprised she didn't realize who he was sooner or she didn't say anything or maybe she will say something. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that she was like, have I seen you somewhere? Like, I know what your car is. Like, I think I know you. I, th- I, just, I thought that was interesting. Although I do admit, yes, like we talked about before, Garrett wasn't going to hurt her or harm her in any way. That was a little weird. So... I don't know what to think about that, and maybe we will find out later. Yeah, it was intriguing. I'm interested to see if we are going to see this woman again and uh, if she's going to say something. So Jess, what did you think about this opening scene? I giggled. It made me smile, which is amazing because as much as this show is going, at least I think it's going for like a quirky, deadpan, kind of funny. It's not really meant to make you laugh. And I enjoyed the neighbor's presence there because she felt like Phyllis the second. Or <laughs> Regina George's mom. You guys thing. need anything? Some snacks? A condom? <laughs> we then switch to Cam, who's quickly washing his hands of a red substance. So then he seems to be prepping himself for something, like on his arm. So then, you know, we probably all assumed it was heroin, which we were right, because he's holding a needle in his hands when all of a sudden he hears a knock at the door. And then Brady comes barging in, and he just jumps up really quickly. So Brady comes barging in and demands to know what Cam's hiding. So Cam thinks to confess to beating up the drug dealer, and he quickly finds out that's not what Brady was here about. He wants to know what Cam knows about the Silver Bells murders. Guthrie's been cleared, the belt is Cam's, and it appears Cam is going to be their main suspect. So Brady grabs Cam, and I assumed he was taking him to the police station, but he takes him home to Tessa, 
who notices Kim's beaten face. She tells him to go upstairs and proceeds to talk to her husband. Tessa is mad. The DNA test was botched and police will be after Kim in no time. Brady demands Cam gets clean and Tessa agrees. He then says this could all be over if she submits a real DNA sample and takes out Cam's heroin needle. Brady will only submit the DNA if Tessa gives him permission. He almost lost his job because she screwed with the DNA last time. Tessa says no and tells him to leave our family out of it. Okay, so I have two questions. First, did you suspect Cam was guilty when Brady confronted him? Second, do you think it was suspicious that Tessa is still denying Brady the right to her family's DNA? That entire scene just kind of boggled me, to be honest with you. I don't understand why Cam wasn't brought to the police station. I don't care if he's your family. At this point, you have enough to drag him in and be like, okay, well, you have to literally just like sit there while I... I collect your DNA. Like, I, I thought that Brady bringing him home and, like, asking Tess's permission for the DNA and whatever, I thought that that was, like, a little bit... Giving her a little bit too much leeway. I know they're married and I know whatever. They love each other and they want to protect each other, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but there's a murderer that you need to catch, Brady. Why are you asking? Like, if, if it was me, which probably makes me a horrible bitch with emotionally stunted priorities, but if it was me, I would have just taken the needle and tested it and fucking not told Tess because she doesn't deserve to be told anything. I love her. I think she's probably the most likable person in the family so far from everything that we know. But her refusal to look at her family as anything other than just, oh, you know, that typical family down the lane with the same amount of skeletons in their closet as everyone else. Uh, no, it just it doesn't work for me. And I just... I thought that Brady was too nice. If it was me, I would have been a little bit more ruthless. As for whether or not Tess is guilty by her refusal, I'm not sure if she's just, if she's guilty or if honestly she's just naive about the whole thing. I, I honestly can't tell. Yeah, I mean, I like her, but every time she says no, I start to hate her. Huh. She is very likable, but her disposition to like protect her family and she knows that Brady almost lost his job and she still says no, you're hiding something for sure and Brady should just have not asked for her permission. So moving right along, we see Madeline driving up to an ATM and stuffing wads of cash in the envelope with the mysterious message she received. We quickly switch to the police department where Detective Cutter is briefing her team on Cam Hawthorne, prime suspect number one in the Silver Bells murders. They need to find Cam in order to question him. Brady states that Cam is not the killer, he's merely a drug addict. Lieutenant Kraft tells Brady that this case is a conflict of interest for him, in which case he should be moved to another case. But, since Brady has intel on the Hawthorns, Kraft suggests he go through the case files to find anything to connect Cam and the family to SBK. What did you guys think of Madeline's actions and Brady's new mission? Brady is trying to walk that fine line of uh, I need to be there for my family, but I also have to do my job. So I really feel for Brady, like out of all the characters on this series, uh, in this series, I really feel bad for Brady the most because he really is, for lack of a better word, a double agent. 
you know he's got to be there supporting his family he's trying to do the best to protect his family and he's really doing that so i don't understand why tessa can't see that but yet he is a man of law he's an officer and he's he's a detective he's got to do what he's supposed to do because uh if not that could jeopardize his career as well as uh his livelihood and everything like that so i really feel for him and uh yeah i mean i get why they didn't want him on the case but i get why they also kept him on the case as far as madeline it was suspicious uh, i mean it felt like she was collecting hush money, in my opinion, because, uh, you know, she went to, I'm assuming, one ATM, and uh, she maxed out at the most that she could take out of that ATM, and then she went to another one to get some more money, so it was hella suspicious, and I was like, what are you doing? You know, who are you paying off? Who knows something? That's what was going on in my head at that moment. I was like, somebody knows something, and she's paying them off to keep quiet about something. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. Jess, anything to add? About Madeline and the envelope? Yeah, or in Brady, too, if you have anything. Brady, I honestly, I think, you know what? I said I loved Tess, but that's not true. I love her in the context of this show because she literally is the only, for me, likable character right now. But if we were pitting her up against, like, a character from The Flash or a character from Arrow or anything else that runs, like, normally where TV show Like, the summer is basically... This summer in particular for me is like, oh, look... It airs during the summer where TV shows go to die. So I don't actually like Tess, but pickings are pretty slim. So I like her in the context of summer television. But when I think about her relationship with Brady, I'm just like, man, like Brady could do so much better in, in the context of the show right now, because I think he's basically bending over backwards to try and make things easier for her, to shelter her, to protect her, and she is not having any of it. And eventually, if she doesn't let him do it the easy way, the way that's gentle and comforting for her, she's gonna have his partner ruffling feathers and looking around and absolutely doing things with no consideration or gentleness at all. So I think, you know, Brady is definitely the lesser of two evils, and I think that he's going too easily on her. As for the envelope, I didn't even really notice that that was a thing last episode, so I was kind of confused, and I was just like, oh, all right, whatever. Fair enough. See, I completely disagree with you on one of your points, Jess. I feel like Tessa was likable in the beginning, and I feel like especially after her more recent actions within the past two-ish episodes, I feel like Brady has become the most likable character on the show and the character that you're rooting for, at least in my opinion. That's fair. No, that's fair. But, like, I'm talking about, like, okay, um, compare Tessa to somebody like Lydia or Iris, season two Iris from The Flash. I 
would pick Lydia from Teen Wolf or season two Iris over Tess any day as a character just because I I don't see that development in any of these characters that I would normally kind of expect from a television show but also maybe they're written that way because this family is awkward and stilted as fuck like you see it like a family photo of them and you're just like wow these guys have either had all terrible botched Botox injections or they're hiding a body that's interesting. Well, I liked Iris on season two of Flash, and I have no idea who this Lydia is, but... Uh, oh, from Teen Wolf. But yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, Lydia from Teen Wolf or Iris from season two, definite examples of, like, what I would expect from a character and development and, like, characters that I actually genuinely love. Like, after American Gothic ends, I'm not going to go back and think, Oh, Tessa was such a great character. It's probably just going to be like, oh, yeah, Tessa was okay. Love Brady, though. Would definitely hit that. Okay, so moving forward, we meet up with Cam, who is starting to have hallucinations. So he goes into the bathroom and opens the cabinet to find hundreds of silver bells falling onto the floor. That was beautiful. It was. He slams the cabinet shut to see Mitch in the mirror's reflection. Mitch then says, I need to show you the body. Cam appears to be led by Mitch down the stairs, but Tessa only sees him stumbling to walk. Mitch tells Cam he can't run from it. Cam falls back and knocks Tessa in the face. The doorbell rings and everyone panics. It's the police looking for Cam. Garrett shoves Cam against a wall while Tessa opens the door to speak with Detective Cutter. Mitch then tells Cam he knows what he saw. Cutter asks Tessa where Cam is and she proceeds to say that Cam doesn't live at the Hawthorne household. Meanwhile, Cam flashes back to his teenage self who mentions something about a body. His teen self tells Cam to look at the body, and Cam refuses. Garrett pleads with Cam to be quiet and puts a hand over his mouth. Cutter asks to look around, despite having no warrant. Tessa threatens to call the family lawyer if Cutter steps foot in their house, tells her to have a nice day, and shuts the door in her face. What did you think of Cam's hallucinations? Were they just hallucinations, or was there some truth to them? Truth. Lots of truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. Well, I don't know if it's the whole truth, but certainly his version of the truth. Obviously, he saw something. It's been haunting him. Maybe it was one of the reasons why he like started doing drugs like extra hard. I don't know if he was already using at the time that he saw what he saw. Or maybe he was starting to use, and maybe that's why he thinks, you know, did I see it? Was it drug-induced? But I, I feel like... He saw something. This is now coming back, especially because of all of the Silver Bell stuff that's been going on. So it certainly triggered this memory. And, I mean, it doesn't hurt that he broke into the therapist's uh, office and he saw that clip where he was like, you know, we need to talk about the body or, you know, I want to talk about the body or I don't want to talk about the body. I forget what the exact line is. But it was something about the body the body being the two key words so yeah so something is uh, floating back to the surface that he hid deep down inside all these years trying to suppress it but uh the withdrawals are not allowing that unfortunately for him so moving ahead a little bit tessa finally gets a hold of her mom and asks where she is Madeline says she's at the spa, and Tessa fills her in on what's happening with Cam. The phone connection starts breaking up, so Madeline says she'll be back soon and hangs up. And we see that she's actually in a restaurant in Pennsylvania. 
Switching back to the Hawthorne house, Allison arrives home to check on Cam, who isn't doing too well. Cam's concerned that his recent setbacks will affect Allison's campaign, but surprisingly, Allison tells him not to worry about that. She says she loves him and regrets being too tough on him in the past. Tessa tells Allison where their mom is and says she needs to go to work, which will leave Allison and Garrett alone together. Tessa is sure that the two can put their issues aside for the good of their brother Cam. So two questions once again. First, was Allison's reaction to Cam surprising in contrast to what we've seen of her? And second, were you surprised to learn that Garrett and Allison have issues? Sorry about that. Um, I was actually surprised. I, I had to actually, because I wasn't like fully committing my attention to the screen at that point, so I actually rewound during the Allison and Cam scene, and I was like, whoa, Allison is being nice. To someone that's not going down on her. This is odd. It was a very tender sibling moment that I did not expect at all. Especially not from her. But uh, I, I feel like she is a more complex character than just the stereotype that we've been given. And I really, really want to see more of those layers. Because... Ice Bitch Allison was cool for the first, like, whatever, however many episodes. But now it's time to introduce some depth. Yeah, I feel like she's the last person on this show that we've, like, she's the least to all of a sudden just see this, like, ounce of passion and compassion for Cam. It was kind of weird. Poppy, what did you think? Yeah, that was a total shock because we've seen her interacting with Cam in the past. I mean, in particular, I think the scene that like instantly, you know, comes to memory is that scene at the fundraiser where she was basically like, you know, you need to get your shit together. And they have that like heated, intense discussion in the doorway during the event. And, uh, to see her be like very kind and tender and them sort of joking around, it was refreshing. It was nice to see a different side to her, especially, you know, how she acts to her family, because I feel like she's always like the hard ass of the family. She's always the one that's going to criticize or critique or, um, you know, give her, uh, a, you know, just give her harsh take on the facts to like anyone like she'll do that to tessa obviously she's done it to garrett and to cam and so it was nice to see that she has a tender side with her siblings and uh it was surprising to see cam like joking around with her and all that kind of stuff so it was refreshing as far as her and garrett i mean obviously i mean i think from day one we could see that they have a major issue with one another that something must have happened in the past to the point to where you know you can taste the tension in the room it's that thick whenever they're together so moving along we return to Madeline in Pennsylvania the waitress walks up to her and Madeline hands over the envelope with the cash inside we soon learn that this is Madeline's mom she reached out to Madeline so they could talk Madeline insists that she needs to get back home, and her mother informs her that she's just going to have to be late. Moving over to Boston, we see Allison and Garrett in the kitchen. Garrett states that he feels Allison has been avoiding him since he returned. 
She then admits that she's not Tessa and that she can't just be happy about him coming back. Garrett says she has no idea what happened and Allison demands he tell her. He diverts and says that some secrets are kept quiet for the greater good. Allison gets a message saying the police are at her campaign headquarters asking about Cam, so Garrett tells her to go and that he'll take care of Cam. Detective Cutter confronts Allison as soon as she arrives. She quickly tells Cutter that she has no idea where Cam is and walks off. Cutter tells Allison to let her know if she hears anything. After she leaves, Allison asks Naomi why Kimmy is still there. Now, this is a throwback to earlier in the episode. Kimmy was the one who saw Naomi and Allison kissing in her office last episode and demanded an incentive to keep quiet. So it appears that Naomi gave Kimmy a promotion and a new laptop to shut her up and Allison is not happy about this. Naomi asks that Allison trusts her and goes to help her with her debate. So, first, what did you think about Madeline's mom? What was your first impression of her? Second, how did you feel about Garrett's interaction with Allison in the kitchen? And third, did you think Naomi's decision was appropriate given the circumstances? The mom was interesting because I kind of expected her to be that way because Madeline is very put together and it just made sense that her mom would be a mess. You know, she's that put together because she had this example growing up and so she doesn't want to repeat that example with her new family. So that, like, all of that clicked for me. As far as, let's talk about Kimmy. That was surprising to me. I don't know if I were in Kimmy's shoes, if I would want a promotion, I would have probably would have been like, give me hush money, you know, $2.5 million. I won't say anything. I'll disappear out of your lives. Bam. Because that's something that you can guarantee will not come back and bite you in the ass as far as like the blackmailer. Because if you're the blackmailer and you're still in the uh, universe of the blackmailee, like they, the blackmailee can try to get the upper hand so that, uh, you know, you don't get anything as the blackmailer. So Kimmy, the millennial, you made a big mistake, baby. At least that's my opinion at that time. Cause I was like, why would you take a promotion? It was, it was just, I was like, no, you take the money and run. And just the laptop. Really? I don't think so. But anyway, and uh, as far as uh, Garrett and um, and Allison in the kitchen fighting over what has better potassium, I like the scene because it's starting to sort of chip away at them and we're starting to understand their relationship a bit more because before it was very animus and uh, we didn't really understand why they were that way to each other. They were very standoffish and they weren't really talking. So now they're talking. So I have a feeling that the layers are going to start to be pulled back and we're going to understand what exactly happened to them. And I'm interested in seeing that because I like the uh, relationships in the family. Like obviously there are certain siblings that like each other better than others. And it's interesting to see why that is. Jess, do you have anything to add to either of the three questions? As soon as I saw Madeline's mom hustling that poor father and child, I was just like, I really hate you. I really hate you. And, you know, it's no surprise. I finally, like, I was always kind of wondering, like, 
what was Madeline's background? Was she raised to act like she's got to stick up her cooch at all times? Or, but that her mom being the way she is completely makes sense. I agree with Poppy on that front. She completely distanced herself or tried to distance herself from her mother's specific brand of toxicity. And I almost felt something like empathy for her for like for like one tiny second it was like not even like a millisecond almost sort of i i don't know what happened my feelings radar went wonky as for kimmy oh my god she was annoying too i wanted to punch her in the face i wanted to be like could you not like like she was just so like smug and rude and I'm I think that you know she got what she deserved in terms of you know what happens later and everything but also like I I was shocked at, at the lady balls that she grew and and that she had the gall to try and blackmail her bosses I thought that that was really not admirable at all like I was just like wow Kimmy you have outshone my hatred for most of the Hawthorne family good for you I hope we never see your disgusting face again as for uh, Garrett and Allison I liked that scene I agree uh, we haven't really seen much of their relationship other than you know um, Allison kind of being a mini Madeline with her brother and just kind of shutting him out and, and basically radiating the body language, the, the verbal cues, like, I do not want you here. Please go back to your creepy main forest and, like, sleep on the ground somewhere. Just don't be anywhere near me or my family or this family. I would like to disown you and or pretend that you don't exist sort of thing. So it was nice to see their that bonding experience, but it also made me curious because Garrett said you used to be fun. So I'm thinking, yeah. like, was there something? I mean, obviously, you know, with Cam's hallucinations and all that, you have to wonder, like, Allison was obviously affected too, but what did she used to be like before all of this happened? I think that that just solidifies that she knows something and she completely, in order to like keep it to herself and, and stuff it down into the bottom most like inner drawer that she could stuff it down to and pretend that like everything's hunky-dory, I think she had to become a completely different bitchy person. And I am actually really interested in finding out what she was like prior to, you know, the Allison that we have met and always known on the show. So I would actually really enjoy if they set up like a flashback episode and had everyone, you know, prior to the series start just kind of interacting like a genuinely actually normal family. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's kind of like Allison did the same thing that Madeline did, only Allison hasn't met Madeline's mom. And it also depends on what Garrett defines as fun. That was kind of questionable because, yes, he has a dark demeanor, so I don't know what he thinks is fun and what he's referencing in fun to Allison. 
Okay, so speeding along, we see Cam once again, but this time his hallucinations are stronger. He stands up and walks out of his room, where Jack appears with his unique puppet chanting about a body. We have Jack saying this interesting rhyme, which I thought was interesting. And so I feel like it was important. It was like, gin a body, meet a body, coming through the rye. Gin, gin, gin a body, gin a body, meet a body, coming through the rye. And he keeps on repeating that, repeating that, repeating that. Gin a body, gin a body, meet a body, coming through the ride. Right. And gin a body, gin a body, meet a body, gin a body, through the rye. And it just, it just goes over and over and over again until it just starts to not make any sense. Well, it didn't make any sense in the beginning, but I have a feeling that's going to be important for some reason. Thank you, Poppy, for chanting for us. I enjoy chanting. So while this chanting is going on, Cam's eyes are blurring in and out of focus. The room is spinning and he can't seem to get away from his son. He then bumps into what looks like his frogman drawing, only he's hanging in the same position Gunther was when he was found dead. Mitch then pulls back a curtain to show someone dragging a body down the stairs. Cam then snaps out of it and he's back in his bed. Alright, so we switch back to Pennsylvania and we see Madeline waiting for her mother to get off of work. She then pulls up quite roughly, crashing into some things and driving into her garden where she parks the car. And Madeline goes up to the car and opens the door and she says, What happened to you? Where were you? And her mother goes, I stopped at work after I went to the bar. So clearly she's been um, drinking heavily. <laughs> Jumping back to Boston, we see Tessa at the school. Allison has messaged her to fill her in on the police visit to Campaign HQ. She looks up and sees Cutter talking to Jack, so she rushes over to stop the conversation. She demands that Cutter leave her family alone, and Cutter walks away. Trying to do some damage control, Tessa asks Jack if he's okay. He asks if Cam did something wrong, and that he doesn't want his dad in jail, and he was genuinely scared for his life. What was your reaction to these last few scenes? So Madeline and her mother arriving, Cam's really odd hallucinations, and Tessa and Jack's conversation. What did you guys think about all of that? I was genuinely surprised that Jack could act his age. Like, that scene was so well done by that young actor, because we're so used to seeing him being, I mean, demented, for lack of a better word, being psychopathic. But he was just a little boy at that moment. He was like, you know, they said he's, they're going to take him away. And uh, you could really feel his worry. I thought it was very ballsy of Cutter just to approach the boy. Yes. Because I feel like the law is that, you know, to question a minor, you need an adult there. So she's really trying to like ram her way into this family like literally you know bulldoze her way into them like to get answers to the questions that she has and i thought that was very ballsy and uh not in a good way because that could bite her in the ass um yeah in, in my opinion i feel like that would have bitten her in the ass in the real world but this is tv so they're gonna let that happen now, the hallucination was interesting, like really interesting. And I know I've used the word interesting a lot through this episode because it really it was. It was an interesting episode. It was very insightful. And I love episodes where characters have hallucinations, maybe not necessarily drug-induced ones or um, withdrawal-induced ones. But hallucinations are interesting because it really 
opens up the character's psyche. I'm not a huge fan of Cam, and this was a Cam-centric episode, but it was still a really good episode because uh, we got to see a lot of the demons that were haunting Cam. Like seeing Jack with the puppets and the weird chant and then seeing his drawing come to life and hanging much like you said like Gunther was hanging much like maybe some of the Silver Bells victims maybe were hanging I don't know and there was another thing like right before the curtain was lifted by Mitch and we saw the body getting dragged down there were some interesting things on the ground like there were like paint items there was also a dead duck which I thought was oh, I weird didn't see that. and I didn't understand why the duck was there I had to go back and pause it because I was like there's something in the ground like near Mitch's feet and I was like maybe that might be a clue and there was like um, there were a lot of it was like painting stuff but like the dead duck there was interesting and I was wondering if, if that's gonna come back in the future Jess. I'm curious to hear Jess. Like, what did yeah. you think? Yeah, what did you think about the hallucinations? I thought they were awesome. I, you know, they were the per the perfect mixture of scary and traumatic and just absolutely world's tallest glass of nope. I have to agree. I think that Cam is probably like my least favorite no that's not really a lie i kind of like that that's a lie because i kind of don't like any of them but like also if cam was stopped on the side of the road somewhere and he needed help with a flat tire i would just pass him especially if jack was with him i would just keep driving but i Finally, I was like, holy shit, no wonder he is the way he is. This makes so much sense now. And, like, I was actually concerned about, you know, what he had been through. And I wonder how much he opened up to that psychiatrist. Because at some point, she should have informed the authorities. Yeah, because, that... Yeah, this goes way beyond, you know, the, the typical terms of confidentiality. The, she, he was talking about a body and even if she thought that it was something that you know he said out of out of being you know not all there thanks to the drugs she should have still reported it so some of the blame lies with this psychiatrist and I feel horrible for Cam because and again I really really want that flashback episode because these hallucinations aside from being creepy and incredibly well crafted what was he like before he had to drag this body down the stairs? Who was he? Was he an aspiring athlete? Was he like the loner kid that would never touch drugs but spent all day strumming an acoustic guitar badly and singing horrible love songs? Like, did he have a crush on the most popular girl in school but he'd never talk to her? Did he... Was he like an aspiring vegetarian? Was he someone that functioned without drugs and didn't think that he would ever need them to cope with life? And then how did having to move that body affect his life and alter it in such a way that, you know, he is where he is right now? The guitar playing, like the musician, that's what kind of fits for me. And like, yeah, he wouldn't touch drugs. He was raised right. And then all of a yeah. sudden he had to deal with a lot of dead bodies and he's just like, nope, heroin. 
know? <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it really does. And I really hope that they um, have sort of a flashback episode because I really would love to see them explore each character before all of this murderous nonsense became a main focal point in this family. Like, I... Surely it can't always have been something so horrific and toxic and evil. Also, I wonder if Sophie did heroin while she was pregnant with Jack. That would make the most sense to me at this point. That's why he's kind of... Because he's too young to have been around. He did not just become this creepy little child. I, I yeah, he was born that way. He could not have been around. Because no. that was yeah. like... 14 years ago or 13 years ago. Wait, no, it was 2002. So yeah, so about 14 years ago is when it ended and he's 9. Yeah. So Wait, so how long did it take Cam to go from being, you know, a regular kid with regular aspirations to a drug addict to a drug addict with a creepy ex and an even creepier son. Jack was born in 2007. It might have been maybe five years after that picture was taken or less. We don't know that. It couldn't have I'm been... just thinking like maybe, you know, it's horrible to say, but maybe Jack was the culmination of that string of terrible decisions. Yeah. I've never read a, like a case study where a drug-addled mother... It basically lays the groundwork for a psychopathic child. But, like, the most I've heard is, you know, their babies come out experiencing withdrawal symptoms. But for Cam, I wonder if psychologically he thinks that all of this is punishment for this crime that he's obviously committed. You know, he might not have been the murderer. I definitely don't think that he was the murderer, but he was involved in covering up the body. That's a super so interesting I wonder theory. if he thinks it's, you know, punishment or karma or what have you. Okay, so moving along, we see Brady at the police station talking to Tessa over the phone. She's so upset that his new partner came to question Jack at the school. He apologizes and says he'll talk to Cutter. But then Tessa says Brady was right and gives him permission to submit Cam's needle for DNA sampling. So... Brady hands the needle to Cutter and Lieutenant Kraft, and he swears it's legitimate. They ask him, how did you get this? Where did you get this? But he does not answer for the safety of and protection of Cam. So Kraft warns Brady about what might happen if the DNA comes back a match. Like, you know, your family may or may not be involved if this is like a positive match. But Brady just says, run the test. So going back to the house, we see Garrett sleeping beside Cam's bed on the floor. Cam seems to be having an episode in his sleep, and Garrett wakes him up to ask what he saw. Cam, Can I just say, yes. Garrett, you're in, like, the vomit zone. Like, why were you <laughs> sitting there? Why were you sleeping there? That's, like, easy access if he's, like, in the middle of uh, uh, a, um, you know, hallucination or something, and he needs to vomit. He, like, turns over, and he's like, Bleh, and it's, like, right all over Garrett. And Tessa had just said earlier, I, ha I don't have uh, shoes on right now, so puke away and here's Garrett just sleeping there like yeah I don't really give a crap well he yeah. lived in the forest for 14 years so who knows what he's uh, seen and dealt with well that's true too. <laughs> anyways so Cam pleads to make it stop whatever it is because we are on the outside of his dream 
So in order to help him out, Garrett hog ties him to the bathroom sink. So that was weird. So we meet up with Christina at the hospital. It seems as though Garrett has come to see her. She ushers him into her office and shuts the door. Garrett states that his brother's in trouble and he could use some help. But before Christina answers, she proceeds to ask why Garrett left the other night. And what Garrett says is that he didn't want to hurt her. She then writes him a prescription for some drugs for Cam, wishes him luck, and then walks out. Now speeding up a bit, we're back in Pennsylvania with Madeline and her mom. Her mother has decided she wants to meet her grandchildren after all these years. So Madeline states their agreement, which includes the exchange of money, to ensure her mom stays out of her kids' lives. She reminds her that that's still in place and that that's what Mitch wanted. And her mom counters that since Mitch is dead now, they need to revisit this issue now. So then Madeline admits she arranged this herself and Mitch was not involved with it. She claims she didn't want her kids to grow up with the same dysfunction that she did. Madeline gives her mom an ultimatum. You either hop in the car with me and go back to Boston, or I'll double your monthly payments if you promise to never contact me again. Madeline ends up leaving for Boston alone. Now, was there anything that struck you as odd in these last few scenes? Not odd. In fact, I was very impressed with the fact that um, Madeline's late husband, whose name I'm completely and totally blanking on, Mitch. kind of Mitch. I I was very impressed by the fact that he let himself be the fall guy for Madeline's mother's rage. I mean, I know it's not technically a big deal because Madeline's mom is an alcoholic and she lives far away and didn't really have anything to do with them. But when you're in a dynamic like that with an unhealthy family member that essentially wants to drag you down into their depths of depravity... You sometimes it's really, really hard to get out and to say, no, like, I'm done with you. I can't go back into your world because it's just it's not good for me. It's not a good place to be. And I don't want to be there. And I don't want to have to be responsible for all of your shitty decisions. I want to move on with my life. Sometimes it's really hard to do that. So for Mitch to step up and be like, look, I don't want you around you. Like, you don't want to be around your mom, but, you know, you're not sure if you'll be able to say, you know, I don't want to be around you and then have her feelings hurt. And then you're going to maybe like go back to her or like try and include her in your life somehow. Just let me be the fall guy. Let her hate me and think that I am the reason that she has no contact with you or her grandchildren. I thought that that was really nice. And also, um, I wasn't really surprised about Madeline's mom basically extorting her for more money, but I was sad about that. And honestly, if it was me, I would have been so angry. I would have found a way to cut her off completely. When I didn't see her mother standing there, I thought she was dead. Is that weird? No, (laughs) honestly, in the back of my mind, I was like, so next episode, are we going to see Madeline like getting off the phone after having arranged for someone to kill her mother or? Or was she like, did she stuff the body in her mother's car? Because we kind of saw that in the distance. What happened yeah, there? That's true. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But honestly, like if she found a way legally or otherwise to basically end her mother's extortion and blackmail over her life. I 
don't think I would be like, oh my god, what a horrible person. I'd probably just be like, well, that's what she gets. Stay pressed, bitch. Stay <laughs> pressed. Overall, in the series, Madeline has been like a cold, calculating woman. That it was nice to finally have a couple of scenes where we have Madeline being a very sympathetic character. And I know that we've been very suspicious of her because she does a whole lot of suspicious things. But it was nice to see the human side to Madeline. And I really felt for her, especially that last scene where she was like, so, okay, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to do this and that or the other. I mean, why would you show up drunk if you really want to do this? Like, you want more money. So here's the choice. You know, we can go right now. You can meet all the family. Or I can give you double the money. And when we saw her alone in the car driving away, I was like, wow. You know, I was like, I really feel for this woman. And um, I, I felt sad for her. So they did a great job with that because I wasn't sure if they were ever going to really humanize Madeline. Okay, so moving along, we meet up with Tessa and Allison, who have just discovered Kim tied to the sink. Garrett's trying to feed him pills, and Kim appears to be having yet another episode. Mitch appears once again and tells Kim he has to face the past. And we finally get a closer look at the dead body being dragged down the staircase. It's, it's like a first-person view. You're right in front of the person being dragged. And one of the spindles on the staircase's handle, it breaks as the body is being lugged downwards. In Cam's mind, the person dragging said bodies either Mitch, Garrett, or himself, and the faces of that person switch in his mind. Allison appears to be holding Cam down as he swallows the pills, and before she leaves, she tells Garrett that if he wants to be part of this family, it would be more helpful to call next time than to tie Cam up. Going forward, we see on the news that Mayor Conley's files have been accessed by a certain Hawthorne Price staffer, Kimmy. She pleads that she has nothing to do with it, but Allison points out that the hack was done on her laptop. Naomi chimes in and says they have to let Kimmy go. She threatens to tell the press about their affair, but Naomi says that nobody will believe somebody so publicly disgraced. Switching back to the house now, we see Cam and Garrett together. Garrett apologizes for tying him to the sink. He then confronts Cam about what he's been saying through his hallucinations. Cam admits to seeing several disturbing images from his childhood come back to him, and they're kind of coming to life now. He's starting to think everything he's seen is real, but Garrett assures him none of it is. So two questions. First, what did you think of Naomi's plan to deal with Kimmy now that we've seen the outcome? And second, do you think what Cam's seeing is real? I thought the plan was really good. I would not have guessed that that was the plan when we initially saw that Kimmy was still there and she had the laptop. So kudos to Naomi for thinking like 20 steps ahead. Stupid for Kimmy, though. Like I said, not that I've ever blackmailed anyone, but if I were to blackmail someone, you take the money and you run. I mean, that's what you do. Period. I'm just saying. Hashtag it, people. Now, as far as Cam and Garrett, yes, the visions are true. I feel like Garrett knows something, and that's why he's like trying to be like, oh no, you know, of course, you know, it's just a hallucination. It's okay. You're having bad dreams. It's drugs, the withdrawal. No, 
I don't believe you, Garrett. I feel like you're trying to do things for the right reason. And I know that you weren't the one dragging anything. Or maybe you were. We'll get into that when I get into my theory on uh, who the killer is. But uh, yeah, 100%, those visions are capital T, capital R, capital U, capital E. Underline it like 20 times. (laughs) All right, Jess, what do you think? First of all, that stupid bitch got exactly what she deserved. I was clapping. I was clapping when she was ousted from the company. I was so excited. And I don't particularly know why, but whatever. I guess I was just in a vicious mood. Um, But I, I definitely think that the thing that stuck out to me most over this entire episode was the interactions between the siblings and the different degrees to which they react to one another, either warmly or not so warmly. And Garrett and Cam's interaction was really interesting because I don't know if Garrett was trying to assure him that, you know, whatever he was seeing wasn't real because he had something to do with it and he knows far more than he's letting on or because he's trying to protect him and he knows far more than he's letting on. Either way, like the different ways that he has, you know, acted and reacted towards Cam in this episode, like tying him up, basically shoving medicine that Cam didn't know what it was down its throat, stuff like that. I was just kind of like, I don't know if you're supposed to just be weird at this point or guilty. Like, I couldn't decide. Like, logic is telling me that it's just supposed to be weird because it would be far too easy and convenient if Garrett was the guilty one after everything. Well, I don't think it's weird because he went to a medical professional to get the drug. So obviously, at least in in my eyes, it was to help. That's yes. what I thought too. But then I was like, what if he, because she said be really careful with it, right? So when she said that, I was like, fuck, if he really is evil, like he's just going to like double dose his brother and Kim's going to fucking like die or something. And Garrett's going to be like, well, it wasn't my fault. I just gave him what the doctor told me to. So, like, I was expecting him to do something that was kind of, you know what I mean? But I think it's just because I expect the worst from literally almost everyone on this show. Okay, so moving ahead, Madeline has finally returned home and runs into Cam. And Cam's just like, oh, great. I have to explain myself now. She asks how he is, and he assumes he's screwed up big time. She reminds him that his addiction is in his genes, and that her mother was an addict and alcoholic. She also admits that's why she's tough on Cam. She wants to protect him and Jack. Cam says that he's trying to get clean, and Madeline acknowledges that. We then see Christina meeting up with Garrett in an alley. He says he wants to take her somewhere. When Christina asks where they're going, Garrett states that this place will help her understand him better. And finally, we see Tessa back at home. When Brady comes in, she's like, oh, I was wondering where you were. We're going to be late for the debate. And Brady's face is just like blank. Like he's, he's like, I need to talk to you. So the DNA tests show that Kim is not the killer. Yes. It's not his blood. I was so happy. And then she's like, oh, great. Thank God. And Tess is like, we're home free. And then Brady just like blank burr, statement. Burr, burr. And he's just like, no, there's more. Wait a second. 
At the same time, though, we see Cam. He seems to be a little bit more coherent than we've seen in this episode. He's walking down the stairs to inspect the spindles. Cam scratched away the paint so much that there was a huge crack. What he saw in his hallucination that did break. So then, yes, Brady reveals at the same time that there was a familial match in the DNA. The blood on the belt belongs to a Hawthorne, which means that someone in the Hawthorne family is the Silver Bell's killer. And that was the end of the episode. Any final thoughts on the end of this episode? Yes. I was not surprised that it was going to have a familial match. I had a feeling that Cam was going to not be a match. And I'm so glad that there is a familial match. I knew it was going to happen. I was glad when it happened. This is the moment that I was shocked happened so soon into the run of the series. Because it's episode 5 and there are 13 episodes in this murder mystery thriller. So, it's interesting that they chose to do it now. I would have expected them to do it closer to the end or at least to the middle. But we're five episodes in, and uh, this revelation ended up coming out. So I thought that was really good. I mean, I mean, I hope that they have some really good story to tell in regards to like the ramifications of like this news. So I'm excited to see that play out. Madeline having another tender moment was really nice. I feel like they're softening Madeline up a little bit. Red hair. And I like that, actually. I like seeing the different sides to Madeline because she's been very cold from the beginning, and it's nice to see her soften up a bit more. And um, as far as Garrett and uh, Christina, I feel like he's probably going to take her to the woods and to be like, this is where I lived for 14 years, you know, this is, this is why I'm like this, or something like that. Like, I'm not used to people, or I don't know, maybe something like that. That's kind of like my theory. And the whole cam scratching it off and finding out that it's the truth, that the visions are real, I love that too. And how stupid are you people? You couldn't replace it? Like, you had to, like, glue it back together? Now they can delve into the characters even more. Yeah, they can delve into, like, not their backstories, but, like, they can flash back to, like, 1999, between 1999 and 2002, and show us what these characters were like at that time. Yeah. And show how hella suspicious they were back then, too. Jess, what did you think of the end of this episode? I wasn't surprised about the familial match. I was kind of surprised about Tessa's reaction to it. And I just, like, I hope it was genuine sorrow and disbelief and, oh my god, how could this be happening to me sort of thing. Like, I hope she's not... I basically hope that she's not, like, the grown-up version of Jack where she kind of fakes things because she knows she has to. Mm. Otherwise, you know, she'll... Like, Jack, I don't think, has learned to disguise his impulses yet he just says what he wants to say but i do think as he gets older he will learn to kind of hide the things that he actually wants to do and say in order to kind of blend in and appear like he functions basically normally i couldn't tell if tess was like genuinely shocked or if she was just like faking the entire thing but also like 
Garrett and his lady friend. I was just like, whose name I forget. I'm terrible with names. I apologize. Christina. Sorry? Christina. Christina? Okay, there you go. Um, Christina, I know that he's probably not evil and probably not, you know, as bad as the show is trying desperately to paint him as. However, the way that he enticed her to join him was definitely giving me creeper vibes. I literally would have been like, you know, why don't you just come back in the daylight and we can go somewhere where there are other people around? That's a, that's a good plan. I like that plan. Let's do that. I would have just completely made up some horrible excuse. I would have been like, oh, but your unique facial structure looks so much better when the sun is hitting it at full force where there are people around to admire your face. That's Overall, I think this this episode was a lot. This episode was jam-packed. It had a lot of stuff going for it. Um, I still think my favorite part was Phyllis the second and her voyeuristic instincts. But this episode, it, it just honestly, it was like a double stuffed Oreo. And I'm not quite sure how they are going to outdo themselves next week with, you know, the information dump and, and, and moving the plot along. But I really hope that it continues at this pace. I really hope that it doesn't drag or fall along into a slump or anything like that because I definitely really did enjoy what they had to give us this week. I liked all of the different layers that the characters were shown to have. I appreciated that we got more of Madeline's backstory um, and, you know, Allison actually reacting like a sister for once instead of, like, prior to she had reminded me of, like, a businesswoman that kind of married into the family but had no idea what the fuck was actually happening. She's like, why am I surrounded by these people? They're all stupid. I need to go home. But she's one of them. Exactly, right? <laughs> like, honestly, I'm, like, expecting her eye to start twitching and being like, I really hope to God the dysfunction does not catch up with me. You people are all sick and I deserve to be at home without my pants on watching Netflix. <laughs> or, you know, her husband and Naomi, because I think her husband was totally into that. Totally into typical that. Typical white guy. Typical guy. Like, oh, yeah, like, I like lesbian sex. Let's just... And, but he, you cheated. Let's, let's ignore the fact that you cheated. <laughs> let's ignore the fact that, you know, you just completely stepped outside of our marriage vows. But again, we don't know if that's normal for them. Like, for all we know, he also has a lover on the side. And maybe it's a dude. Like, we don't know because we're not given much of him as a character and I actually think that it would be kind of fun if he had more to do with the murders than like you know because nobody is suspecting um Allison's husband right now and it would be yeah. kind of delicious in a really warped way if like he and Allison were set up by Madeline because you know this husband has something on the family, was somehow involved with the murders. So Madeline's just like, all right, all right. This is going to be like Romeo and Juliet, but it's going to work. We're going to get married. We're going to keep all of our secrets to ourselves. 
You guys do you, but just literally just do you together. You know what? Do each other. Just do each other. Get out of my hair. I don't want your nasty little secrets and your freaky deaky little world ruining my perfection. Okay, so since we finished our recap, it's time to rate this episode. You may rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 silver bells, and I'll start with Poppy. What are you going to rate this episode? I rate this episode nine and a half silver bells. It wasn't perfection for me, but it was damn near close to it. I thought it was a beautifully done episode. Lots of great acting, lots of great reveals, lots of uh, information that we need to know, especially for trying to figure out who the killer is. So overall, an outstanding episode, near perfection for me. Wow, that's the highest score anyone's given it thus far. Okay, so we have a 9.5. Now, Jess, what are you going to rate this episode? 7.8 silver bells. Can I ask why such an odd number? We don't have an eighth of a bell. Uh, can we, like, ring it eight times but not officially add it to my pile? Sure. That's a thing. That's We just made that up, but it's a real thing that no. we can do. I, you know what? I really liked the episode, but I am, I feel like, the harshest critic on a lot of the shows that we watch. Like, I don't remember if anything that I have ever rated has been given a full-on 10. And I, I really did like this episode, but for me, it's not like, oh my god, I couldn't even get up to pee because this episode was so amazing. Like, you know, I paused it a couple times to go let the dog out, eat, do some other stuff, and then went back to it, whatever. It was still great, but it just wasn't like, oh my god, I'm literally sitting here, like, gripping the armrests of my chair, dying. I need to know what happens next. But I really did, like the character development and I really did like the direction that things went in and I really hope that it continues because they may just get 10 silver bells from me overall. Probably not, but like maybe. Okay, so we have a 9.5 and a 7.8. I'm going to have to be in the middle once again and say I'm rating it 9 silver bells. So there are a lot of major character and plot developments all tied into this episode. I really liked seeing Madeline's mom. For the short period we did see her and I will have to leave out one bell because our dear friend Phyllis was not with us today. Overall, yes, nine silver bells seems pretty accurate for how I felt about this episode. Now, onto my favorite part of the podcast, the predictions. Who do you think the silver bells killer is? Now, I'll remind you, you only get one guess, so make it a good one. Jess, who do you think is going to be the killer? Oh man, I, I'm gonna go. I, I, I'm gonna stick with your theory, Sam. I really liked it, and yes. I'm gonna say that it was probably Madeline. But it was also weird to me that Cam kept seeing his father, and his father was the person that kept being like Cam. Like you have to look at this. You have to face up to it. He was doing the dirty work for her. Yeah, so I wonder, like, does Madeline have everyone around her marching, like, a colony of ants for her? Or it was yes. just very, I think, yeah, I'm going to have to go with the fact that it was all a family affair headed by the wonderfully terrible Madeline Hawthorne. 
You gotta remember, too, like, she said Mitch was the one that made the agreement to keep her mother away, and he took the fall for that, like Poppy said. So, what else is he willing to do for her? Yes, the patriarch should be the head of the household, but that is not how their relationship was portrayed. We have one count on Madeline. Poppy, I'm interested to hear what you have to say and what your theory is this week on who the killer is. I'm sticking with who I've said since episode two, and that's Tessa. And I feel like with each episode, they keep on dropping subtle hints that it's her. And in this episode, when Garrett and Tessa are talking in the kitchen, and Tessa's like, oh, you're saying all this weird stuff. And he was like, yeah, you know, we're saying this or the other. Garrett specifically asked her, you know, did any of that make sense to you? And she was like, no. And he gave a very suspicious look after she said no. Hmm. So there was that for me. The second thing, t- when Tessa left the house and left uh, Garrett and um, Allison together, she was like, oh, I need to go to school. I'm going to check on Jack and all this kind of stuff. Garrett and uh, Allison gave each other a sort of knowing look like you know I don't know it was very suspicious like right now my only proof that it's Tessa is the subtext the questions that people ask her the looks that people give her the looks that people give each other after she leaves the room but I feel like it's Tessa and it makes sense to me why it could have been either Mitch or Cam or Garrett dragging the body down the stairs because they're covering up for her because she would have been a child. She would have been an innocent, you know, they, they, you know, wouldn't want her to be sent away and this is out of the other. I have a feeling that Tessa doesn't remember any of this. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just psychological trauma. I don't know if it was a split personality I don't know. We don't have any clues as to why she doesn't remember, but I have a feeling that she doesn't remember this. And uh, I think because Brady is in a relationship with her, it's going to make it that more difficult for him maybe to turn her in. And so on top of that and everything that I said, I feel like it's Tessa. All right, so we have one count for Madeline and one count for Tessa. Surprise, surprise, I am still sticking with Madeline as the Silver Bells killer. First of all, she lied to her kids about where she was. Does your mom lie to you about where she is? Like, I mean... Yeah. Hmm. Why not? Like, if if I were Madeline, I would lie too in that instance because we don't know what sort of story or fiction she's concocted around, you know, her mother for the kids. She could have just been like, oh... My mom is in an old age home and she has no idea who the fuck I am. Like, my mom is basically somewhere unreachable. Like, maybe she told them, like, they, she told him, like, they live in a different country or whatever. You know, that sort of thing. So I think her lying was to protect them, but also mainly to protect herself because I think... You know, if the kids saw their grandmother and were like, wow, mom, this is where you came from. I think part of her, like this part that she strives to keep hidden, would just break 
into a million sad little sobbing pieces because I don't think she's, I mean, I don't know how, how you could be, but people do manage to get past it, but I don't think that she is over, you know, her roots and where she came from and like the lessons that she had to learn in order to survive and how she probably had to scramble out of there with her claws and teeth intact sort of thing. So I think that she, I, I mean, I don't approve of it, but I understand why she lied. I do think there's something more behind that. Like, I don't think it's only because she doesn't want dysfunction in her family. I mean, it's too late to prevent that anyways, because look what, look what's going on in her, her house. Like, so much crap. And then also at that point where her mother was nor in the car, neither outside her trailer. Like, I think she's dead. I think she's, that was like the worst case scenario. But with the Hawthorne family, I don't know what to expect. So that's all I can assume. When I heard how she was talking to Cam, saying she was in the past tense, like my mother was an addict. She was an alcoholic. And I'm like, did you just kill your mom? Did that just happen? I don't know. It was just kind of. <laughs> that would be interesting if it did. Honestly, yeah. I think it would. I don't know. I wouldn't be sad for Madeline's mom. No, for sure. Just wrapping up all that we've seen and all that we know about Madeline, plus what's on this episode, I still have to stick with Madeline. And on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of The Silver Bells Murders. Visit poppychuloradio.com slash archives to download this episode and many more. Registered users will gain access to our archives of previously aired broadcasts. You can also download tonight's broadcast through iTunes. Just search for The Silver Bells Murders and subscribe. Please like Poppy Chula Radio on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash poppychuloradio. Follow the show on Tumblr, thesilverbellsmurders.tumblr.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychuloradio. Email us via contact at poppychuloradio.com with any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chulo radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychuloradio.com. Co-hosts, wish the listeners a very good night. Good night, listeners. Silver Bells Killer, we will find you wherever you are. Have a very good night, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern and 5 p.m. Pacific for a brand new installment of The Silver Bells Murders. Good night. (laughs) 